Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, it's Trucking Week. So Terry Shaw joins us from Manitoba Trucking to discuss the new mandatory driver training in this province. We'll meet Tracy Garbett's new guide dog, Marion, and we'll find out what's happening over at CNIB. And Michelle Stainton, a city engineer, updates us on construction season. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining us in studio now, Terry Shaw, the Executive Director of the Manitoba Trucking Association. Terry, good to see you. You too, Hal. Thank you for coming in studio. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. I'm excited. I'm going to be part of a, an event that you're involved in, uh, the Trucking Association is involved in. We'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to have you in today because as of September 1, the new training requirements have kicked in. Yep. Remind everybody what the new uh number is. It's 121 and a half, right? 121 and a half hours through uh, what in Manitoba is known as a melt-approved school. Um, You can't just get in a truck behind a wheel and and do laps for 121 and a half hours. You have to go to an accredited school, take an accredited curriculum um, that, you know, in total equates to 121 and a half hours of classroom driving and in-yard training. Um, And so we encourage people to ensure that they are shopping appropriately for certified schools. But yeah, we're we're glad to see that this policy is now up and running here in Manitoba. And you've had a busy summer because you've been involved in training instructors. And so tell us a bit about the process getting us here. Yeah, you bet. So uh, again, we, we've been promoting this pre-licensing training concept for years. Um, it was announced a year-ish maybe ago that this was going to become a reality in Manitoba. We were working with hard. We were working hard with the, uh, the policy folks on that. Um, kind of a bit of a lull there. Uh, many, many months ago, uh, 121 and a half hours was decided upon, um, at which point uh, it was handed over to MPI, who is the, you know, the operational arm of right. the Manitoba government when it comes to driver licensing um, in, in all those perspectives. So working with MPI on, you know, policy, how would you access tests? Um, the tests themselves have to change. If the training is going to change, we need to ensure that the test is a meaningful re- reflection of the training and the skill sets needed uh, for these people uh, before we issue them a, a Manitoba driver's license. We had to get um, instructors trained. We had to come up with criteria for schools. Um, and so MPI asked the MTA to help put together a curriculum to train MELT-approved um, Class 1 instructors. So we've done that. Uh, we have had classes up and running. Classes are still running. So it's it's been very busy. And, and kudos to MPI for all their hard work. Um, they had a very limited time frame. This, is, um, this was done in other jurisdictions, but it's a, a first crack in Manitoba. So um, a lot of questions to be answered. It's it's a first uh, cut, I guess we're taking at it, you know, and, and to their credit, they've said we're going to, you know, September 1, we're going to launch, see what happens. We're going to review, analyze, and then adjust where needed. So credit to them. So there's a minimum in place now, 121 and a half hours. Is that enough? Should it be more? And in many cases, it is more, isn't it? 
Uh, it's more than we had, uh, you know, August 31st, which was zero mandatory requirement, right? So this is absolutely a step in the right direction. Our industry members still um, promote uh, a higher level of training, the pre-employment training standard, which in Manitoba is 240 hours. Um, that said, let's see what 121 and a half brings. You know, it's certainly um, not going to produce a, a lower caliber uh, of driver. Not that there was concerns before. Again, I, I can't say it enough. The trucking industry is safe. Um, that's not my opinion. Manitoba Public Insurance Road Safety data uh, will confirm that. Uh, simple fact is we're not incident-free. We're continually trying to improve um, the safety of our industry across all facets, including obviously road safety. And so uh, a continuing step in that evolution was the, the mandating of pre-licensing training here in Manitoba. And other provinces, uh, I don't know if other provinces are more, but there's provinces that are less, right? Ontario is 103 and a half. Um, Alberta and Saskatchewan were 121.5, which was in part uh, my understanding of why Manitoba kind of came to that level. We didn't want to be too far out and create kind of harmonization concerns, et cetera. So Ontario went with mandatory pre-licensing training in 2017 at the 103 and a half hour mark. A couple years later, uh, lessons learned, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba are coming out at 121.5. And I know we've talked about this in the past. We're sort of rehashing stuff here, but I think it's an important conversation to have now that this is kind of all in place, right? We're into September, and so the new, uh, the new 121 and a half hours is, is there. It, will there one day maybe be something right across the country, or is it a provincial thing? Uh, yes and no. Um, so uh, there is federally, um, the transport minister has suggested that I believe it's by, uh, 2021 or 2022, my apologies, I don't have it off the top of my head, um, that there will be federally a requirement for pre-licensing training. The, the Canadian Council of Motor Transport Administrators, um, is working on that standard right now. The Canadian Trucking Alliance, of which the Manitoba Trucking Association is a part, is helping to inform that standard. That said, that applies to federally regulated trucking companies, trucking companies that operate within more than one province uh, or within their home province and the United States. Uh, we need to ensure that this pre-licensing training standard applies to everyone, regardless of whether or not I drive from Kenora to Regina or Emerson to Thompson, and I never leave the boundaries of Manitoba. I'm, I'm putting just as many miles on Manitoba roads, utilizing the exact same pieces of equipment. Um, so the, the pre-licensing training standards need to apply across the board to all Class 1 license holders. This is an interesting time for you, too, because we've got a provincial election a week from today. We've got a federal election coming up and depending who you know how this all goes down you're going to be dealing with different partners who might have different opinions on issues that are important to truckers absolutely yeah it's a good job security for a guy like me <laughs> unfortunately right um, but yeah it, it has been a really interesting summer uh, with a provincial election followed very closely by a federal election um, we made an announcement uh, in June, June 10th, I want to say, uh, where um, the MTA, the provincial and federal governments, had announced um, efficiency funding uh, for truck drivers here in Manitoba. Um, our apologies, we've been a little radio silent on that uh, for, what are we, up to 11 or 12 weeks now, um, not through any fault of our own, and due respect to our government partners, not through any uh, fault of theirs, but because of... Um, you know, pre-election blackouts and transitions and other elements. It's we haven't had an opportunity to get a bunch of traction with these things. 
I think provincially, not much will change. Not too sure what's going to happen at the federal level. But um, yeah, it has definitely slowed some of the work that we've been doing because of, you know, these transitions. And so it was uh, it was very interesting summer in that regard. Yeah. Carbon tax. I mean, there's all kinds of oh. things that you're keeping a close eye on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to run out of time. National Trucking Week. Talk a bit about that and what's happening here. Sure. It's just an opportunity, uh, again, as you had mentioned, nationally across Canada for us to, you know, celebrate the trucking industry. Um, It started many, many years ago primarily as an internal thing where, you know, uh, uh, those of us across the trucking industry would thank, you know, the people within our industry, primarily our our hardworking men and women who are out there driving truck. Um, Over the years, it has evolved and we still uh, look at it as a celebration of industry, but we also look at it as an opportunity to, you know, get in front of the public, help remind them of the critical services that, you know, trucking provides to them. Um, And it's also an opportunity in many provinces, certainly here in Manitoba, to give back. And so we have a whole host of fundraising events that not only are our members engaging in, but uh, we at the MTA are engaging in or coordinating as well. Including the truck convoy. And I will be in Ildeshane, not this Saturday, but a week from this Saturday. September 14th. For bet. Special Olympics. This is a big deal. Every year it is. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, every year we have a couple of hundred trucks. We call it the the largest convoy in North America. Um, I don't know if we, you know, legally can claim that, but morally we certainly do. Um, you know, just under a couple hundred trucks come out every year. Last year, I think we raised just over $80,000 wow. for Special O Manitoba. Um, and it's just, it's a great celebration of the trucking industry. It's a huge testament to those in the trucking industry, you know, that they can, with one of their very rare days off at home, mm. they're going to donate it to getting in the truck, getting behind the wheel, doing a lap around the perimeter, all while raising funds uh, yeah. for Special O, raising awareness for Special O, and, and just celebrating what it is to be, you know, a member of the trucking community in Manitoba. Well, and thanks for involving me, and I can't wait to bring it on the radio and thanks have some fun out, with yeah. it, so thanks a lot. It'll be fun. Terry Shaw, Manitoba Trucking Association, thanks for coming in. Best of luck with everything. Uh, my friend Tracy Garvin is here from the CNIB. Congratulations on the new gig at the CNIB, uh, Tracy. You are now the program lead for Foundation Relations. Good for you. Thanks. You. Uh, it is uh, also a Guide Dog Awareness Month, yep. and uh, you brought in your new guide dog, Marion. What a beautiful animal. Yeah, she's uh, working out really well, and she's through the CNIB program, and uh, we're yeah we're doing very well. Now, uh, this is, how how many dogs have you had? This is my third. Your third dog. And you yeah. said the others were older, and this one's young. Yeah, she's a little younger than I'm typically used to. She's about 20 months, and my other dogs were uh, just over two when I got them. So she has a bit of that pup in her still, but yeah. she uh, she loves to work. Well, I think she kind of broke the rules. I, she I, did she, a little she bit She came there. over to say hi to me, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to pet or not. But, uh, but I'll tell you what is amazing, and I want to find out more about uh, what it's like having a guide dog. But you you came in, you brought me a coffee, and thank you very much for that. I, I appreciate that. But as you're walking in, uh, you said, find the seat, find the seat. And there's about 10 seats in here, but she took you to your seat, yeah. that, which was amazing. Yeah, they're they're trained. It's it's called target training, and it is very interesting because I just tell her to find the button. So I she'll take me to the pole to, where the push the button to cross the street to the escalator, all those kind of different commands, and it just makes your travel so much easier because well, you put your trust in them, but when they're trained well, they love to work and they love to do it. 
and you really do put your trust in them because, I mean, it's li- depending on the scenario or the situation, it, life and death, right? Oh, for sure. And you have to really just go with it. And I have some interesting crossings and and uh, big crossings to get to work, go home at the end of the day, and we've just tackled them. And we had the really good training from one of our staff at the CNIB Guide Dog School, and we really nailed it. Yeah. And uh, so when you get a new dog, like why, have, why have you got a new dog? What happened to your last dog and the dog before that? Uh, both of them, have. they retired. Um, my first dog, he just was done working. He was tired. My second dog uh, got sick, but is doing very well now. Good. And uh, so it was just, a, I took a little break, took a couple of years off because I wasn't sure. So mm-hmm. I used the white cane. and But our winters and everything else, our construction season, it does make it easier having a dog again. Yeah. What What are the advantages? Because you use a cane, but now you've got your dog. What are the advantages to having a dog over a cane? Or I suppose some people prefer the cane. I, I guess it's personal preference. Yeah, kind for of, eh? sure. I mean, everybody has their preference. And but with the dog, you with your cane, you have to contact your object. Then you have to figure out: do you go left, do right, do you go around it? But she's going to avoid all your obstacles in crowded situations, going into malls. She's going to avoid people. And it's easier, you can train them to find a certain area. So she already knows a few places in Polo Park where I frequent. And I just say, let's let's go see Julie, my hairdresser. Yeah. And we just bogey to the hairdresser. Right. Yeah. And after a while, she knows that. Marion will yeah. say, oh, I know where we're going. Yeah. And, and take you there. Exactly. So those kind of things. And once you, you target train and you find your locations, like you said, mm-hmm. after repetition, they just, they know where you want to go and you just go and do it. So it's um, Guide Dog Awareness Month. Uh, so why is it important for us to know about guide dogs? Is it because of the good things they do for somebody like you who's visually impaired? Is that is that the bottom line here? Or? Well, it's you know it's it's that, and also just knowing how to follow the rules. And mm. I know Marion went to come and see you, and, uh, she's and she wasn't not, supposed to. And do she's that. not supposed to do that. Um, but it's also people on the street not petting or interfering. Um, all those kind of things, and even just other uh, dog handlers out there. It's nice, you know, someone's walking along, the hey, you know, I'm coming up on your right. So um, I don't know they're coming, and that way I'm not startled, and it uh, just gives me that reaction time so that I know there's someone else coming with a yeah. dog. And uh, But, yeah, it's to be aware not to pet and interfere and all those things, and uh, Manitoba has tough guide law, um, laws out there as well. Yeah. I can't talk about the CNIB without mentioning my friend and your friend, yep. Maggie Lee Grant. Got to mention, because Maggie listens every day, and she's a sweetheart, and I love her <laughs> dearly, and she's a great friend. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when we talk about um, being visually, and, and somebody else I got to mention, Mr. Jim Goche, the oh, big guy, and all the great things that he has done for the CNIB. Oh, he's amazing. He has done so much for us, and, you know... Uh, kudos to Jim. Yeah, he's just fantastic. Gives to so many great causes, yeah, but the, the CNIB is one of them. So so can we, uh, in a situation where we see a guide dog then, so what are the rules? Don't pet, uh, don't do any of that? Uh, yeah, and just don't distract him. I mean, I had people try to feed my dogs, all that kind of stuff, and that's, that's just very dangerous because if we are in the middle of a route, um, it could distract her and put her off course. You know, she's still got to follow her rules and know what she has to do, but why add to the, the confusion? If you're tra- if you're crossing eight lanes of Portage Avenue, the last thing you want to do is someone calling at you or whistling at your dog, trying to get their attention. And, uh, you know, 
takes her off course, you get clipped by a car or whatever. So yeah. mean, there's all those it, it, things that happen so fast on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Ferber was going to be here at the last minute, could not join us, yeah. which is a shame because I was going to talk to him about some stuff. But maybe I can talk to you about sure. some of the things I was going to talk to Leonard about. Um, assistive devices. And, I mean, there are people out there who even struggle to afford a white cane, and it's election time. And and I think these issues are important to get out there, especially at this time uh, when we're getting ready to vote and candidates are listening and and want the votes. Um, Because not everybody is able to, like Maggie, I mentioned Maggie. I know her iPhone, she uses her iPhone. I mean, her iPhone has kind of changed her life, right? But not everybody can afford an iPhone, right? Some people, as I said, struggle to afford a white cane. So exactly. t- talk about that a bit. Yeah, the, uh, most provinces have a plan where you get a portion of your devices covered. So if you want to go buy a laptop, let's say it costs you 500 To get me to make it uh, accessible, it's going to cost another $2,000 to make it accessible. So what we really want is just to put it, you know, give us a level playing field. Mm-hmm. And if there can be some kind of funds out there to offset the cost of these devices, we're going to be out there uh, a little easier going to school. There's a lot of programs to help people in um, through the education part and employment. But once you're employed and after that, a lot of times they say that, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get supported anymore. And to get supported, that's going to put us out there, put a level playing field and give us that opportunity to do more out there. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things you're doing with the foundation now in raising funds, right? Because when when there's that shortfall, the foundation can often step in and and help make these things happen for for blind people and people who are visually impaired. Exactly. And like you said, the white cane, something as basic as that, some people just don't have the funds. And if that could be offset, you're going to have more people traveling, getting out there, wanting to do more Mm -hmm. and just being part of society. Back to Mary and your new guide dog here. Let me ask you a question. So when you came in, I, uh, you know, is it okay for somebody if they're around you and Mary and a guide dog and a person who who can't see? Is it all right to say, do you need a hand or you know, you know what I mean? Or is yeah, that for sure? Because because I think sometimes I know this is how I feel. I, I don't want to be that guy, right? Yeah, for I, sure. But I want to be helpful if you need my help. Yeah, and I mean, um, there was a gentleman this morning down at the University of Winnipeg when I was leaving the gym, and uh, she went to the bathroom. I picked up after her. I couldn't find the garbage can. And this gentleman came over, hey, can I give you a hand? And he took and put it in the garbage for me. Right. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, uh, a lot of people ask me if they can pet my dog, and mm-hmm. a lot of times I say, Give me a second. I take off her harness. Right. Then they. So she knows she's not working. Exactly. Yeah. So there's those kind of etiquette rules that, and there's days where I, you know, I might just not have the time, but I love to to see the young kids on the street and educate them, talk to them about Marion, and let them have a pet and uh, get to meet this amazing dog, which and and talk to them what she does for me. I'm going to get a picture of you and Marion, and I'm going to make sure I get it up on my social media so everybody can meet Marion at least, uh, you know, through, oh for sure through picture. And and see uh, Marion. So now, how long will you have Marion? Is it is it kind of up in the air? And well, you know, they typically will work up till they're nine or ten years mm. old. So she's got a long working, uh, you know, yeah. time ahead of her. So right. I hope that she can work as long as she can and and retire when she deserves to retire too, yeah. and just be a dog. D- does a, a a guide dog ever just whatever wake up one day and just doesn't do it anymore? Yep. 
Really? Yeah. My first one really, I mean, he was just way too much window shopping. A five-minute walk became a 20-minute walk. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was like, I'm never going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it is all part of it. And you mm-hmm. have to read your dog. And the schools, you know, no matter if it's CNIB or what school you got your dog, they come out and they'll evaluate them once they hit that eight or nine years old and just see what they're doing. Are they really still working? Or yeah. Are they just kind of, you know, mm. s- fumbling through their day-to-day routine? Yeah. Um, I got to say, uh, CNIB is such a great cause. And there are so many great causes out there. Uh, Tracy and I have done Dine in the Dark together yeah. a few times which is uh, just a wonderful experience for people to go through because they realize some of the challenges that somebody like you have, Tracy, in just eating a meal. Like the simple, basic things that we take for granted in life become more challenging. And so I, I encourage you out there, if you've got an office place, uh, a workplace, you want to uh, throw an event and raise some money, by all means, get a hold of CNIB and Tracy Garbett and, and everybody at CNIB and, and help out because it's, uh, it's a great cause, and I really appreciate you, uh, you coming in. Let me ask you one more thing that I was going to talk to Leonard about. I know that uh, CNIB is uh, throwing a, a vote pop-up, and this is basically where um, people can uh, come in and, and learn about voting and how to do it and, you know, facing challenges like you have. Yep. Um, and if people want details on that, they can go to CNIB. I won't ask you for all the details. Go to CNIB and ask about that, but there's a vote pop-up. Uh, but even something like that, casting your ballot becomes a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And I know there are some templates out there, and I, um, I think certain places have the Braille and um, I've always, you know, I've gone with my wife, but when my wife hasn't been able to go with me, uh, back in the day, I had to trust people and I had to make sure I was putting where I was voting in the right spot and someone could have been leading me astray, but now there are going to be new ways. And uh, we do have the an event tomorrow at CNIB at three, uh, three o'clock and people can come in and check it out. Excellent. You and, know the details. Three o'clock tomorrow at CNIB. Yep. And uh, we'll be able to, you know, show different ways of making sure that you're getting your vote in and correct. Excellent. Hey, Tracy, thanks a lot for coming in. Marion, nice to meet you, Marion. And uh, please let uh, Leonard know that if he's got another day he can make it, I'd love to have him on and and chat about some of that stuff. But I'm glad we were able to uh, at least touch on it. Thanks. Joining us right now uh, from the city of Winnipeg, project management engineer, Michelle Stanton. Michelle, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so we just thought, you know, construction season, although I, I imagine you're hoping you can get as much in as you can here at the end of the season, but I guess Absolutely. now that summer is sort of, you know, unofficially over, the September long weekend has happened, and so we're talking about construction season winding down, but you guys still have a, a lot of work to do out there. We we have been talking about the delay, the pushback on the Louise Bridge, but I want you to talk about a few other projects out there, Empress. Uh, Waverly Underpass, Furmore, weigh in on those and, and kind of give us a general update. Sure. Um, I guess in general, uh, it's, it's actually been going uh, quite well this summer. Um, pretty much everything was, is on track and we're expecting uh, all the things, still expecting all the things that we uh, were expecting to wrap up to be wrapped up. Um, Empress, expecting to be complete uh, by the the end of October. Same with Waverly Underpass. All lanes and intersections expected to be open. 
end of October. Uh, all of those have some carryover landscaping. A lot of these, a lot of our projects, because uh, the kind of construction we can do till the very end um, doesn't let us do uh, landscaping. So we tend to carry over a lot of the the, the sod planting and grass seeding, or, or you know, really making sure it takes into the spring. Um, so the for more bridge project by St. Anne's, uh, same thing. It'll be done mid-November with some cleanup and landscaping next year. Um, the Fermor project at La Jemodier, it's a planned two-year project. Um, so the first uh, eastbound lanes will be pretty much complete and we'll have all four lanes open to traffic with uh, still being a construction zone, but the traffic will flow uh, around the end of October. And um, I guess uh, in general, uh, we'll finish off the, sorry, that Fermor one, we'll finish off the other two lanes next year. In general, though, everything's been progressing, and um, like you said, we take stock uh, early September and sort of see where we're at, and it's actually looking not too bad so far this year. Good. You know, it's it, this is a funny conversation to have, right? You're sort of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. People complain they want the roads to be better, but then when <laughs> the roads are getting worked on, they're complaining about construction, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it, it's a challenging uh, and and I'm sure every year you must go into construction season thinking how can we get more done more quickly, right? Mhm. Yeah, that's uh I guess you know one of the best things that we can do really is is have our um our funding defined ahead of time and and we're working on that to have better ways to do that so we can get planning and and uh and get contracts out earlier. Um so that's that's sort of our biggest challenge is to be able to get started much earlier. So the earlier right. we can do that, the better. Yeah, yeah. Michelle, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Michelle Staten is the project management engineer at the City of Winnipeg. Bit of a construction update there for you on uh, Empress, Waverly Underpass, uh, those two sections of Furmore. And again, a reminder that the Louise Bridge, because of wet weather, has been pushed back about a week, and so that uh, will not reopen for a bit yet. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.